your Bible, turn to the book of Ephesians. We're studying this little letter of St. Paul to the church in Ephesus. And we're now in the fourth chapter. Before I read the passage, I want to just tell a little story about an acquaintance of mine named Jay Adams. And Jay Adams used to visit many churches. And as a guest preacher, and he was a great preacher, he would stand up in front of the church and he would say, you know what the problem is with this church? The problem with this church is the ministers of this church. It's the ministers of this church who aren't doing their job. (laughs) And people out there would be sitting and they would be having one of two responses. The first group of people would be like, who is this guy? Who does he think he is criticizing our pastor like that? We love him. That's not right. The other group of people are sitting there and they're saying, well, it's about time somebody (laughs) called him on the carpet and got it right. And then Jay Adams would say, Some of you think I'm criticizing John Yenchko, but you are mistaken. Because the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4 that the pastors and elders of the church have a duty to equip the saints of the church unto the ministry. To equip the saints to do the works of service. And so he says, who are the ministers of the church? He said, you are. And this is what we read in Ephesians 4, starting uh, in verse 7. And this passage of Scripture is a complicated passage. He really starts shooting in a bunch of different directions and pointing in different places. You're going to have to work with me a little bit today on this. He says, But to each one of us grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, and suddenly he reaches back all the way back to Psalm 68. And he starts talking about ascending and descending. He's talking about the incarnation of Christ descending into this world, dying and rising again, and that is his ascension into heaven from where he gives gifts to men. Okay. He says, But to each one of us grace was given as Christ apportioned it. That's why it says, When he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended into the lower earthly regions. He who descended, that's Jesus Christ, is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers, verse 12, to prepare God's people for works of service, or really, literally, for ministry, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching, and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ, 
From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So far, the reading of God's Word. You know, I love this passage of Scripture, and I believe over these past six years that we've been here that the truths of this passage are already being worked into the DNA of our congregation, of our church body. What is talked about here is already, because of the elders and because of your ministry, is already being lived out in great ways. But, but maybe for some of you, this is a new idea. This, the, what's taught here might be new to you. Because you might have grown up in an environment where you thought the church was more like a bus than a body. Have you ever, anybody here know who John Madden is? He used to be the highest paid sportscaster in America, and he traveled all across America, uh, not on airplanes. He was afraid to fly. How did John Madden travel? By bus. He had the Madden Cruiser, and he had hired a, he had a driver and a mechanic and a support system, and and it was luxurious, and it was great, and he would just go along for the ride and look out the window as he went. And for some of us, that's what we think church is like. Church is like a bus. You come in and you take your seat. And who's in charge of the bus? Who drives the bus? Well, there's a, there's a bus driver, and he decides where you're going to go and how fast you're going to go by pushing on the accelerator, if you need to slow down by pushing on the brake, and uh, if people get out of control... The other people out of control. He turns and says, be quiet, you back there. That's enough. Thank you. And, um, and he, he manages the whole affair because that's what the church is. The church is like a bus and the pastor is the driver. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible does not teach that church is like a bus. Instead, twice in this passage, he calls the church a body. A body. He says it's like a living organism, like this magnificent body God has given to you. And even if you don't think you have a magnificent body, you have a magnificent body, complex and wonderfully made. And he says the church is like a body here twice. Here's how Ray Stedman wrote about it in a book he wrote 30 years ago called Body Life. Uh, Ray Stedman says, Through the centuries the church gradually turned itself away from the simple provisions that made it such a powerful and compelling force in its early years. There came a gradual transfer of responsibility from the people to what was termed the clergy. When the responsibility was thus left to the professionals, he says, there was nothing left for the people to do other than to come into the church and listen. They were told it was their responsibility to come into the church building, hear the pastor preach, and uh, then uh, to go out to their own houses. And soon Christianity became nothing other than a spectator sport. Hmm. Very much akin to the definition of football. 22 people down on the field desperately in need of rest and 50,000 people up in the stands desperately in need of exercise. Then Stedman says, this unbiblical distortion has placed pastors in an unbearable burden. They have proved, listen carefully to what Stedman says here, this is really funny. 
he says of pastors, they have proved completely unequal to the task of evangelizing the world, counseling the distressed and brokenhearted, ministering to the poor and needing, relieving the oppressed and afflicted, expounding the scriptures and challenging the entrenched forces of evil in an increasingly darkened world. They were never meant to do it. And am I ever glad? Who is supposed to do all those things? You are. You are. You don't do all of them all the time, but you all do those things. And you are to be equipped unto works of service. That's what he says here. This is why, you know, in our core values, we list a different core value every week in the bulletin. You know, you check out the attendance, you check out the finances, and you, you should also read the little box about our core value every week. And one of them says, every member ministry. That's a phrase you should never forget when you think about North Shore Community Church. Every member ministry. Because we are a body coordinated together. What Some of, some of you do exercise. Some of you go to the gym. You, so we even have some bodybuilders in the life of this church. What, what, does, what has to happen? It takes rigorous training, and there's coordination, and, and, and a body can be healthy or unhealthy, and it always needs nourishment. Mine does. Lots of nourishment. Listen to me very carefully here. It is extremely difficult for people in the American suburbs to live like a body. It is really hard to be a functioning part of the body of Christ in the suburbs. I look at our map with pins. This is where the different people live. Someone was asking me, you know, what is that? We just, and if you don't have your pin up there, we want you so we can know who you live near. And, and you can see how scattered across uh, Nassau and uh, western Suffolk County we live. Someone said, what, what's the difference between the red ones and the blue ones and the green ones? The red ones are the really big sinners. The, the blue ones... No, 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 I'm just kidding. That's how it came in the box. We just bought a box of little pins. They're multicolored. They're all the same. It's so difficult to be a body in the suburbs of America because we're so scattered and we are so busy. And you take busyness and you take distance... And it becomes hard to be coordinated together. But we must do it, you know. He doesn't give us an option. We must be the body of Christ in the particular expression of this church family. And it's hard, and I know it's hard. It's hard on your calendar. It's hard on your lifestyle. But we are a body, not a bus. We're a body. This is why we have home fellowship groups. This is why we have men's and women's groups, why we have a Sunday school. It's why we have kids' clubs and youth group. So that we can connect life on life together, building each other up in Christ. And if, if you can honestly say, Pastor John, I, just, I'm, I feel cut off from the body here and I, and I don't know what to do, please call me. Please call one of the elders. We will pray, fast, talk. We'll do what we can to get you connected in some special way in the life of this church, somehow. That's point number one. 
We're a body together, not a bus. Now, secondly, as you unpack verses 11 and 12 here, we see that Jesus wants you to be equipped and trained to do your part in the body of Christ. He who descended came into this world, the incarnation of Christ. He came into this world, also ascended. He rose in glory and went and fills the universe with his glory. And now he is giving gifts to you. And those gifts are people who will equip you to grow in your walk with the Lord. Pastors and teachers, elders, leaders in the body of Christ to do this. God doesn't just say to you, grow. I know that these are plastic. Nobody come up to me afterwards and tell me these are plastic. I know that they are. We tried having live plants in this church the first couple of years I was here, and it was an embarrassment. <laughs> so we bought plastic ones, and um, sorry about this. the best we can do. But let's pretend for a moment these are real. If I were to say to this plant, grow, grow, what good would that do? It wouldn't do any good. The plant needs to be cultivated. It needs to be nurtured. It needs to be fed and watered. Now, I hope some of you are starting to make some connections in your head. What is the mission statement of our church? We talk about three words that start with the letter C, that God calls us to celebrate and communicate and cultivate. Ah, is that why Pastor John's always using that word, cultivate? Yes. We are to cultivate the life of Christ, the glory and love of God in each other. And that's what verses 11 and 12 are all about. He gives those leaders to, it says in the New American Standard, to equip the saints unto the work of the ministry. And I prefer that translation. To equip the saints unto the work of the ministry. And the coach metaphor that we looked at last week was very helpful. Remember Bear Bryant from the University of Alabama? He, they asked him, how, do you, how are you such a successful coach? And he said, well, I'm just an old plowboy from Arkansas. But I know how to get some men excited and how to calm others down and how to give them a vision until they come together with one heartbeat, a team. And that is what Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus. And he's saying that's what's supposed to happen. We cultivate this life of Christ in each other in our Sunday school classes. Do you need a stronger marriage? Then go to the Family Life Fellowship. Are you hungry to grow in your knowledge of the Bible? Then come to the Elders Bible Fellowship. Do you have a burden on your heart to be with other sisters in the Lord? Then go to the Women's Bible Studies or, or one of the, the fellowship, home fellowship groups. But be connected. At our last elders meeting... We, we talked about, uh, we were remembering last year we did the 40 days of love. Do you remember that? We did that. The whole church was coordinated together in all the small groups. And we, we're now thinking about sometime, probably in the spring or early summer, just doing a church-wide discipleship program together that will be reinforcing the basics of, of exploring Christianity together 
Uh, for some of you, you'll just be rehearsing and la- lavish. It'll be a lavish uh, review of what you already know. And for others of you, this will be a first-time experience of going deep into the Word of God together with the whole body of Christ. We actually are thinking about doing potluck on Wednesday nights here and then have the small different groups, you with your own group, but here somewhere in these two buildings and, uh, and do it in a coordinated way and invite some of our neighbors to explore the truths of the gospel with us. But why would the elders do that? Why would they ask you, who are so scattered and so busy, for like a 10-week period to make that Wednesday night church night for you? We would do that. We would do that because we want to equip you for your walk with Christ. That's what a disciple is. A disciple is an, an equipped learner. If you went on a job interview... And they said, tell me about yourself. You know, I don't know what you would say. What would you say to describe yourself? But somewhere, would you use the word disciple? I'm a disciple of Jesus. You know, it's not a word we commonly use. I don't know. The end of uh, my favorite junior high movie, which is Rat Race. There's this uh, scene where where they trick all these really rich and nasty guys into uh, giving away lots of money to the hungry and the poor. And the guys, they don't want to be giving away their money, but the, the, uh, uh, the little girl says to them as they're on stage in the spotlight, she says, you're just like the disciples. And everybody cheers. And I th- thought to myself, that's such a cool use of the word. You're just like the disciples, the disciples of Jesus. Would anybody say that of you? You're an equipped learner and follower of the Master, just like the disciples. Bodybuilding. It's a good thing. We are to be built up, verse 12 says. And these are purpose statements. The the text, it's a purpose statement. You are to be, um, he gave pastors and teachers in order to equip the saints. If you don't build, get built up, those of you who are, are physically strong and who work out, what happens to your muscles if you don't exercise them? They atrophy. Do you know the word atrophy? If, uh, if you're in the health profession, it's a, the word sends chills up and down your spine. It's a terrible word. When I was in college, I injured my leg playing intramural football, and my leg was in a cast for about six weeks. Uh, and... Um, my leg atrophied. I got so weak from disuse. And that's what happens to your soul unless you are equipped and built up in your faith. That's point number two. And so in love, point number three, we are built up in love. We are cultivating in love toward a threefold goal. And again, here, this is where the passage of Scripture is complicated and And you'll need to bear with me if you want to understand it. It's really quite brilliant. It's a brilliant passage of Scripture where he says uh, the goal in verse 13, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So it's 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 a threefold goal. And you know what he does? And then in verses 14, 15, and 16... He addresses each of those three goals. 
as he unpacks it. It's really, it's really staggering. The first thing is unity in the faith, unpacked in verse 16. True knowledge of the Son of God, which is unpacked in verse 14. And maturity, which is unpacked in verse 15. And so North Shore Community Church, if we're going to be the body of Christ that's being equipped, this is where he's taking us. And he's like he's got a rifle. Boom! Unity. Boom! True knowledge of the Son of God. Boom! Maturity. These, these are the targets that we want to aim for as a church family. Unity in the faith. And I talked about this last week, about why unity is so important, because our Lord Jesus told us himself, a house divided against itself, what? Cannot stand. And we remember those two ladies in the Philippian church, Euodia and Syntyche. Anybody ever hear of Euodia and Syntyche? Who were they? They were those two ladies that couldn't get along in the church. And they kind of they kind of had a power struggle in the church. Uh, if you have a baby girl, don't name her Euodia or Syntyche. Those are not good names to name a daughter. And they couldn't get along. And because they couldn't get along, the church was floundering. Will a church grow if people are fighting with each other in the church? No, you don't invite neighbors into your house when you're having a conflict. So unity of the faith is so important. And, and he describes it um, down in verse 16. He says, From him the whole body is joined and held together by every supporting ligament. And there you have the ligaments and the joints and the tendons and the muscles all functioning together. What happens, what happens to me if my uh, right foot wants to go north and my left foot wants to go south? I'm in trouble, right? <laughs> I'm actually going skiing tonight. I haven't been skiing in 25 years. Someone's taking me up the Gore Mountain. It sounds gory, doesn't it? I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm worried that one of my skis is want to go north and one of my skis is going to want to go south. You can pray for me, but that, that, might, that just might happen. What happens? Disaster. So he says there must be unity in the faith. Children, out in California, there are these redwood trees that go hundreds of feet into the sky. Huge. They weigh tons and tons. But if you've ever seen the redwood trees, the Pacific wind comes and blows against it and, and howls in, sometimes at gale force, and the hurricanes come, and the, and the trees, they bend way over. But they don't fall over. Why not? It's, it's, it's really quite staggering. Around here, lots of trees come down, right, Scott, whenever the winds howl here. But in California, the redwood trees stand. Do you know why? Because they grow in groves where their roots intertwine and hold each other tightly. And so the trees can stand because all of the roots are interlaced together, holding tightly. And this is, for me, it's such a picture of the way we as a church family should be holding each other tightly, even in the storms. At a church retreat uh, uh, last fall, Columbus Day weekend, we have a great campfire every year. and the, It's a highlight for the kids, and maybe for me, because Nina buys $60 worth of marshmallows and, and graham crackers and melts chocolate, and what do we make? We make s'mores at the campfire. 
and you know, last year, I guess Bill Melcher, he was playing the guitar, and, and the kids are all around the fire, and it's just roaring fire. And if you take one of the burning, burning sticks or coals out of that fire and you move it onto the outside of the campfire, what happens to it? It burns out. It gets gray. It goes from a glowing, beautiful red to an ashen, cold gray. And that's what happens to you when you are out of fellowship and when you are not in the body, active in Christ. So, the first goal is unity of the faith. Then he says, knowledge of the Son of God. True knowledge is actually, it's epigenosco, it's the true knowledge of the Son of God, not just an idea in your head, but knowing the Word of the Lord and knowing Him accurately. You know, sometimes I'm criticized, I suspect, because I'm a broken record about historic Orthodox Christian theology. I'm not really interested in a lot of new, fancy theology that flows over from Europe or from Asia or from anywhere that is not rooted and grounded in the Bible. You just can't know the Lord of the Word without the Word of the Lord, Ed Clowney used to say. You've got to have faithfulness. So we are, we are, we are Johnny One Note here. It's the Word of God. The Bible is our source of faith and practice. And Jesus Christ is the one that we follow. And not Jesus plus somebody else. We follow Jesus. We study His Word. True knowledge of the Son of God. Because there are so many other ideas and religions and philosophies out there. This is why he says, notice um, down in verse 14, be careful, listen carefully. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching. What's he talking about, every wind of teaching? All kinds of new modern ideas that deviate from the testimony once given to the saints. All kinds of new ideas. No. And the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love. And so we are committed to knowing Jesus Christ and Him crucified together. And then the third goal listed in verse 13 is maturity. And he takes out his big old gun and kaboom! He says, I want you to become mature. I don't want you to be a one-year-old Christian for 20 years. And that's possible. Maybe you're sitting here, you're saying, look, John, (laughs) thanks, but no thanks. Yeah, I don't want to go to hell. I want Jesus to be my Savior. That's fine. Thank you very much. But that's enough for me. No, it's not. It's not enough for you. Until we reach maturity... Oh, some of our teenagers, they can't wait to get older. They can't wait to be, to, to be in high school and then out of the house and in, away, away in college. Why? Because they, they have a sense that their life is moving forward in a great way. They want to mature. Don't ever lose that. I don't care how old you are. Don't ever stop growing in Christ. Always grow in Christ for the rest of your life until your last day. You want to grow in Christ. 
And love, verses 15 and 16 says, love is the energy that makes it all happen. We grow in love. The truth is spoken in love. So there you have it, brothers and sisters. We could be like the Madden cruiser. We could be like a bus. But we're not a bus. We're a body. And God wants the elders and leaders of this church to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry so that we grow in three things. Faith, in, or in unity, true knowledge of the Son of God, and maturity. That's where he's taking us. Our church doesn't need uh, just one more pastor. We do need an assistant pastor, I think, but we, that's not, we don't need one more pastor. We need 200 pastors, shepherds, Christians, equipped to do the work of the ministry that God has called us to do. So now we're going to close this service. I'm going to invite the musicians to come up right now. And we're going to close this service with one of the greatest hymns ever written. My favorite hymn. It's called For All the Saints. For All the Saints. This was written by a man named William Walsham Howe. And the tune was composed by Ralph Vaughan Williams, one of the greatest English composers. And the words to this hymn speak of the day when you will eventually, as one of the saints, rest from your labors. But until that day, you don't rest from your labors. Until that day, you're just pouring yourself out for Jesus Christ. And then that day will come that day will come when you will go into heaven itself. And oh, what a day that will be. Through the gates of Pearl Stream, surrounded by the countless host of all the saints from around the world, singing to Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. So I'm going to ask you to do me a favor here. I'm going to ask you to sing out on this hymn. It's not the easiest hymn to sing. But I want it, I'm not a prophet here. I want this hymn sung at my funeral. <laughs> I get run over by a bus, you just remind who's ever in charge. We're singing that song John wants to sung, sung at his funeral because this, this is a glorious moment for the saints to rise up and declare that we are not a bus. We are the body of Christ moving forward with authority and power into this world. So let's stand together, let's sing, and then I will close us in prayer.